Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Chander in Palo Alto, still shelter in place. Hello, this is Arne in Oslo. And it strikes me that it's a very long time since we've done a podcast from the same location now. <laughs> yeah, I think the last one was in Oslo. Probably was. Uh, there, um, I should have been in California twice since the corona started and both of them have been cancelled naturally and so is my shipment of aqua wheat there we go well to take comfort i've been out and about drinking beer in the streets uh, because that is now allowed in oslo i went to a restaurant outdoors and had beer and food with a friend oh wow how was you know it's like breaking a fast how does it feel doing that two months or six weeks later. Well, it definitely feels good that uh, society is getting back to a more normal trot, although there are still, you know, things, things to resolve. Not everything is back, but more and more things are back. Yeah. Does beer taste different after a long time if you don't drink and then drink again? Uh, feels very much the same. Still not the same quality as the Pliny the Elder or one of the premium uh ipas from california but uh you know all good all good <laughs> yeah well i'm glad you were able to enjoy that and hopefully i'll be able to do the same soon here in california yeah yeah absolutely so today's topic is something very i find it interesting and the time i've spent in consumer marketing gives me uh, you know excitement and insight into it yeah and you've had time to think and even write a little bit now that you've been sheltering so that's good it gives us new material to talk about yeah and you know the writing is a result of me not being able to read i cannot read inside so usually i sit outside the house and read but the weather has been so hot last week here in palo alto it's like in 90s so you can't really uh, sit outside and read. So hence, I've been writing more than reading. Very good. All right. So more consumer marketing. Yeah. So I think we had an episode on D2C. Uh, that's direct to consumer on one of the podcasts. Uh, well, on our podcast last year. And I remember both of us liked the category you know, me as an entrepreneur and you as a venture capitalist. Um, so it's discussed a lot in, you know, media among uh, VCs and venture capitalists. But something that's not discussed enough is the packaging. So the topic uh, is packaging in CPG, how that would change or might change in the direct-to-consumer model. Um, Good. Just, just a quick question here, starting off. Uh, you know, helping me to get life into boxes. The packaging <laughs> today. Yeah. The actual, literally, the topic is a box. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, where does the box fit in which box? Uh, the packaging. Would do you say that is a marketing thing, a product thing, or a logistics thing? Um, I think it's all three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> box three. <laughs> the, box the box fits box. in three boxes. <laughs> yeah, or I would say box three. 
they're yeah. interconnected. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you think about packaging differently if it's a CPG product versus what's a durable goods product. So people who are not familiar with these terms, CPG stands for consumer packaged goods, or in Europe, they call them fast moving consumer goods or FMCG. So these are the things you buy regularly, like food, beverage, makeup, eggs, clothing, cleaning items, et cetera. And durable goods are, you know, the ones you buy um, uh, once a year or, you know, more like phone would be a durable good. Um, yeah. Electronic item would be a durable good. Um, and the, just in, you know, the US and Canada, uh, well, maybe in North America, the CPG industry is $2 trillion. People spend $2 trillion on buying CPG goods. And some of the common names, I think, because they spend so much money on marketing, I'm sure our listeners have heard of them, Pepsi, Coke, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Colgate, etc. Some of some of them are not necessarily known to everyone simply because the products don't have these names. Or I guess in Colgate's and uh, situation, everybody knows that as as toothbrush. But for example, Procter and Gamble and Unilever are uh, companies with thousands and thousands of brand name goods in the shops, like uh, shampoo and soap and food products. Yep, yep, you're right. So all the, these companies have multiple brands and we may know uh, the names of the brands but not of the parent company. Yeah. Right, good point, Arne. And uh, they're generally products sold in you know, supermarkets and drugstores and these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because they are very... Um, you know, it's hard to differentiate the product in the CPG space. It's like, you know, take soap, for example, you know, how are you going to make the soap so much better? Like 10 times better and people most likely won't pay you 10 times more if you make it 10 times better and how? Uh, or, you know, think of bottled water. There are over 100 brands of bottled water you can get and water is water so how they differentiate I mean soap they can differentiate based on ingredients bottled water based on packaging based on uh, the source where it comes from so you know looking at cpg as a category i find there are five different ways you can differentiate the product uh, one is branding i think cpg companies are the uh, one of the top categories where they spend uh, money on branding. Uh, it's definitely over 100 billion. I don't know uh, exactly how much, but over 100 billion a year. Then you have second is ingredients. So what's in it? Like you think about food items, is it organic or some type of chemical is present in something and in others it's not. Um, it's uh, so ingredients and then third is pricing and discounts so this is big 
where you know the stores generally have their own brands about popular items like uh, Walmart probably has uh, you know a detergent for cleaning cloth cleaning that compete with Tide and they, they basically compete on price uh, and then a lot of times to move the inventory, they offer you discount, coupons. That's also how they differentiate. And then number four is distribution, where meaning where you can buy the product. You can have a good product, good brand, but if nobody's carrying it, then you can't really sell it. So it's very important in the CPG world that your product is carried by the right retailers, or traditionally it has been. Like for some companies, Walmart is 50% of their business, uh, meaning 50% of the product is sold through Walmart. And then number five and topic of the day is packaging. Um, so these are the five ways companies differentiate um, in the CPG space. So branding, ingredients, pricing, distribution, and packaging. Any questions, Arne? This is basically the path or how things are until now. Yeah, no, I think I think these are absolutely correct. Before we dive into packaging, though, just a quick quick note on distribution because this tends to be a pretty complex affair where you also look at things like you know, what channels do you go through and how do you get coverage to enough stores? Also, how do you cover the right shelf spaces in all of those stores? And there are also oftentimes like promotional elements where you pay pay the retailers for the right positions and, and, and all these sorts of things. So it's a very complex uh, thing about the distribution with possibly some uh, promotional elements into it as well. Yeah, I mean, they're all interconnected. That's why I don't like boxes. Because right. in box thinking, you, you don't see the links. Uh, you don't see the interconnectivity. Uh, but we'll, when we discuss packaging, we'll see the roles, the shelf space pays, pays, plays, sorry. Um, yeah. So we, you know, so there are these five, I think we can have an episode on one each, but today we'll just focus on packaging because that's where we see um, change in um, the model or opportunity with the migration to direct to consumer. But first let's see the role packaging plays in CPG. Um, so first is you know, attracting consumer attention. So you are going you know, through the aisle, there are thousands of products in the store and just in any supermarket, you have over 100 varieties of cereal. Um, and the CPG companies pay premium, this is what you were just saying, so that you are placed at the eye level, so you pay extra for that. Um, and you have to stand out so let's say all the other, your competitor's products are packaged uh, yellow. So you can't be yellow if you want to stand out. So you have to think of how my packaging is going to be different than what, what am I going to sit next to or what my product will sit next to. Um, and then also where you are on the aisle. You, if 
you know, you know that you're going to be at the eye level, you may design a different package versus if you know you're going to be at the lower, uh, you know, below the eye level, you may design the package differently. And the, like, uh, I can't think of ever going to a store and just coming out with what I went to buy. I always end up buying more than what I went to, just because you're walking through the aisle, you see something and you say, oh yeah, I want that. And that is a lot of, you know, packaging plays a big role in that, in this impulse buying where you stand out and then you, uh, well, the whole store layout is designed that way. So you see things and you, uh, make these impulse purchases. So the first point is, you know, attracting consumer attention. That's what packaging does. Second is brand validation. Uh, what that means is, you know, you are not, let's say, Coke, Pepsi, things, companies which spend a lot of money on advertising, on social media. So you have an image in your head on what that is, what the brand is about. Uh, so packaging has to live up to that image. So for example, you know, let's say uh, Sensodyne, I forget the name, one of the toothpaste advertises most recommended by doctors. It's so the impression you have is serious, professional. So the white color packaging makes much more sense than, you know, seven, 20 different colors flying around on the package. So that's another, function the packaging serves is brand validation. Um, third is provide product details. That is, you know, what's inside the box, the ingredients, expiration date. There may be, you know, some regulatory requirements, especially in cases of food, where you have to provide nutritional information. Um, and then, of course, you have the barcode or the skew of the product for inventory management reasons. But the point of the details is to help you make the decision, purchase decision. Now you've picked up the product in your hand. You're looking at it to decide if I want to buy it or not. And then fourth and final reason or the function packaging serves is keeping the product safe. So, you know, it has to survive all the um, movement from factory to your home uh, so it shouldn't break and then some products may need you know, protection from light moisture uh, or you know they have to be refrigerated there may be multiple reasons for product to be safe and then it comes in different sizes the so packaging has to accommodate different sizes so these are I, the four reasons the or not reason functions the packaging serves today in the retail store in CP, for CPG goods. So first is attract consumer attention, second brand validation, third provide product details, fourth keeping the product safe. Any questions, Arnett? Make sense? Uh, yeah, it all makes sense. Um, uh, one interesting side note is that there are sometimes trade-offs in how you do these things um, and an interesting example is for example uh, between Europe and uh, US the US packaging keeps tends to be more solid in in the US 
uh, why it ended up being like that, I don't know, but take, for example, the cereal package mm -hmm. uh, is thinner and more flimsy in Europe than in the US. So mm -hmm. the thinner and more flimsy is cheaper and it's also less waste, but at the same time, it provides less uh, protection. And so presumably you have a higher uh, number of items damaged in transport when you have it that way. And that's a, just a different trade-off between two markets that are kind of an interesting uh, fact. I don't know, it, it's possibly uh, driven by regulation in Europe. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize that the cereal packaging is different, but you bring up a good point, the trade-offs. So the companies you know, have to make these trade-offs. You can have, you know, excellent packaging, but it says, you know, you can't, then the price of the product will have to be increased. Then your margins go down. Then the, you know, what size is it in? And another important thing here is you always have to think about the shelf space your product is going to occupy because the shelf space is limited in the store. Yeah. Yep. But now in the D2C world, that's direct to consumer. So for people who haven't listened to the D2C episode, that basically means consumers buying directly from the manufacturer, not going to a retailer. Um, and all the, uh, when we say D2C category, most of it is happening uh, online. And what we will discuss is also online uh, D2C. So for example, um, you know, uh, the Dollar Shave Club is getting razors uh, online at home. So you're, if you're buying uh, something through Amazon, although it's e-commerce, that's not D2C because uh, the manufacturer is paying to Amazon a percentage, generally 30%. Uh, for selling it through the Amazon online store. So D2C is, you know, you buying directly from the manufacturer, just like Apple, buying Apple phone from uh, apple.com or uh, in this case, the retail store. Yeah. Uh, so I think the, <clears throat> it, this creates a big opportunity of changing the nature of packaging just because the function it was serving in the store are uh, have changed. So for example, let's look at them one by one. We said uh, it does, it, top function was attracting consumer attention in the store. So when you're buying it online directly from a manufacturer, then you don't need to attract, the packaging doesn't have to attract consumers. You've already bought it. It's not an impulse purchase. Um, so, it, of course, you can have images of the packaging online, but I think the storytelling, videos, the other marketing assets become much more important than packaging. Then also you so just a just a side note on that. So one data point to to make this point is that uh, data shows that people that uh, shop groceries online mm -hmm. um, uh, shop healthier food than people who shop food in a supermarket, physical uh, supermarket. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is that 
uh, when you shop online, you generally shop in a planned manner. Whereas when you go to the supermarket, you get close to the checkout counters. There are all these shelves with sugary uh, things with blaring colors and people pick them up. Yeah. And that's the packaging attraction. Uh, and so uh, you have to build, if you're going to make impulse purchasing happen, you're going to have to build a different user experience than packaging uh, in, in, in that sense. So that's a concrete example of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you know, impulse purchase happens in retail store because you're already there. You're buying all this stuff and the shiny thing, which, you know, shows up. Um, but in the online world, I'm, you know, on this company's website, I'm learning. It, it's harder to do impulse purchase online because a lot of energy goes into going there. You may do an add-on at the checkout. Okay, you went there to buy with a purpose, but then impulse may be, oh, I'm buying, let's say, I don't know, like uh, the shaving cream and then the aftershave uh, could be impulse. I know I'm running out, but packaging is not what will make that impulse purchase happen. It would be the, the user flow, the pricing, the benefits, or other things than pricing. Oh, sorry, packaging. Yeah. Uh, okay, the second is it doesn't have to provide brand validation before the purchase because, you know, packaging when people, so in this model, people get the product at home delivered. So they see the packaging after they have bought the product. So the validation occurs after the purchase, not before the purchase. Then third is um, you don't have to provide details on the packaging to make help people make the purchase decision because they've already made the decision when they get the product, uh, when they get the packaging at home. Then fourth is, uh, is that still valid? You have to keep the product safe, you know, whatever moisture, light, temperature requirements, but the size limitation goes away. You know, let's say all the cereal packages in the store were, you know, I don't know, X size, so you have to be X plus minus uh, 10%, but now you could be 2X, 4X, or 0.2X, because there's no shell, uh, the shelf space limitation goes away. And then you'll have to consider the trade-offs with, you know, shipping costs, et cetera. Yeah, so you see- yeah. Trade-offs trade are different. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Um, so you see in the D2C world, once you, where you get, get to see the package first time after you purchase the product is different than in the store when packaging is uh, there to help you make the purchase. So then what is the role of packaging in the D2C world? Yeah. So first yeah. is um, reinforcement. So when I get the product at home, uh, first, that's my first you know, physical contact with the product uh, after I have you know, the, uh, heard about it on social media and done my research, 
and seen the ad and have an expectation. So this is the opportunity for the packaging to provide reinforcement to the consumer that they've made the right decision uh, by purchasing this product. So reinforcement is one. Then second- So uh, a, a quick comment on that. So we talked about branding before, and it's not so that branding is less important in a D2C world. Branding is possibly even more important and, and the, the, whatever you're buying has to live that brand quality in the full cycle. It just happens that the moment and opportunity is different than it is in a retail world. Uh, and, and therefore it can be re-engineered to fit whatever usage pattern you have in the D2C world. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So the D2C actually requires more branding. <laughs> yeah. So what happens generally is, you know, you pay 30% to the retailer of your sale uh, retail price. All that money now has to go to marketing and branding and advertising. So to avoid the 30%, you are getting consumers directly, but by spending money. And now you have many more brands, so the competition is higher. Mm. Uh, okay, so then second purpose that's possible for packaging is reuse, um, which wasn't possible before because the retail is not set up that way, where you can, let's say you get a shampoo bottle and then you use it and then you ship it back and get a new one. So you could have two, one is always there, You in an order and um, when the previous one is delivered, uh, you give back the empty one. Uh, so many environmentally conscious people may be up for that, uh, which wasn't possible before to reuse the packaging. So now it becomes possible to reuse packaging. I, I, think, I think it goes, I, th I think reuse is certainly one thing, but I think uh, it goes wider than purely reuse. Uh, if you think, take a sustainability aspect, packaging is a waste mm -hmm. uh, in many instances. And any way you can increase sustainability by reducing waste, mm -hmm. it, it is very uh, is resonating with a large segment of the younger um, consumers. Yeah. Uh, and sort of hitting hitting that both from a, a messaging and a uh, execution perspective, I think is a competitive important thing. Uh, so packaging is certainly important in that context. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's not possible in every case, but I think in many cases um, it's possible. Especially item like in cases of liquids. Um, like shampoo, soap, et cetera, where you need them regularly. And then you can have, you know, uh, the D2C companies can do the drop-off points. Like Amazon returns, I can go to UPS store and just give it to them and they take care of it. I can do the yeah. same thing with packaging uh, for these things. Uh, yeah. So this becomes possible. And third is engagement. Uh, so this is, you know, now people have gotten the product at home and let's say it's a food item. You can put a QR code 
on the product, which I can scan with my, I'm sorry, on the packaging, which I can scan with my phone and it gives me recipes uh, for what to do with that product. Or uh, let's say it's a, a razor blade, different types of shaving or, you know, uh, I can do with the razor blade, uh, the mustache or beard or whatever. Uh, so basically, it, it creates now an opportunity because you're in the home environment. You can, I'm able to do that from the packaging. If you do that on the retail, people are not going to spend 10 minutes and watch a video. But at home, you made the product, you can. and Or you can put food recipes, um, et cetera, et cetera. In, it's hard for people, you know, to get people to download an app and have you know, consistent engagement, but it's possible in certain cases. Like if something I get every week, then the QR code can help me download that app. And if I can keep that fresh uh, with content and offers, then it might be possible to engage users consistently uh, with the app. But if not an app, QR code with very relevant engagement related to what you can do with the product. Is very possible. Yeah, but I I think I think there's an opportunity here, um, um, in in say direct conversion as well, which is is kind of engagement. But if you know how Amazon works, this is the U.S. context. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you pretty much have a reorder cycle uh, where you're empty for something, uh, then you push a button or you say to Alexa that you want one more and it just comes right through Alexa, uh, through Amazon. Now, Amazon isn't really a, well, it's not a pure play D2C company, although they have their own brands. But if you have this engagement directly between the brand and the customer in a D2C fashion, the QR code could also be a direct refill function as well because you don't have distribution through a middleman. Uh, uh, so, so there are these opportunities to engage but also transact directly and the packaging can play a role in that yeah that's a good point so it could be like an ordering function rather than um you know uh, not rather than in addition to being engagement so if i run out of something i just scan and they already have all the information it just shows up yeah 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 i agree and next, I think, which is, it's like mind-boggling uh, how the CPG world has operated so far, the feedback. So in the traditional retail, the companies sell um, to a retailer like Walmart, and they sell to consumers, but the brand itself doesn't get direct feedback from consumers and they don't even know who they are and how they're using it. So the data has been limited uh, or has had limited availability to CPG companies on how the product is, in, in, is being used. And D2C changes all that. So now you can have the direct feedback loop um, from the customer. So for example, you can, you know, Again, they can scan a QR code and 
give provide feedback star system or just give thumbs up and down uh, so you see what like the direct feedback from the customer and you can also use that as incentive if you give us a review then you get x percent off and like you said arna you can use it to reorder so you know then the you know the refilling frequency of something so basically you can create a feedback loop with the customer uh, using packaging yeah i think i think the the engage transact data uh side of things is is closely related and in the dtc world uh you know the opportunity is to stay much closer to the customer all together and improve the the opportunity to serve but also the user experience of of the customer um and and you remove that middle layer of of insulation that's the retailer yeah. um and so, so this is this there are plenty of things to innovate on there and the packaging is a medium to make the, that connection yeah yeah the next is also i find very exciting which has not happened yet and it becomes possible with dtc and that segment aligned packaging what that means is you know in the physical retail world there was basically one package for everybody now you can have packaging based on you know the age buying behavior preferences male female uh the zip code like there's so many opportunities and for example you know some people which are more environmentally conscious and want the world to be sustainable they may want packaging that's 100% made with a 100% recycled material and they may be willing to pay for it and you can you know have that at the checkout you want this it's $1 more um etc so you can now have packaging uh that is aligned with your consumer segments however you are segmenting the market so that increases the engagement increases the brand affinity and you know in the end has higher customer lifetime value yeah yep. and of course there are trade offs the more types of packaging you have it'll be cost but i think it's totally worth the cost the incremental cost of having different packages yeah yep uh then the final one is upsell and cross sell so you are you have direct relationship with customer now and a package arrives in customer's house uh you know monthly weekly whatever depending on the product and you have you can put free samples in the package and uh, you know test new products and you can of course cross sell upsell by giving free samples or uh, having something on the package if they order within x you know as soon as they got the package uh the next order on this new product is x percent off or let's say i'm getting uh shaving cream from somebody they can sell me after shave they can sell me razor blades 
they can sell me moisturizer, all these up, upselling and cross-selling. And upselling people who don't know means if you know generally products have tiers. If I'm at a lower tier, then they can sell me higher tier. For example, if I'm using a two-blade razor, they can sell me five-blade razor. And cross-selling would be, you know, uh, selling me aftershave or uh, moisturizer or shaving cream. Yeah, and in a D2C model, you can also think of targeting this much more than you would in a you know traditional model where you know the the goods go in bulk to a retailer. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let me repeat uh, the six things which are possible in the D2C world with packaging reinforcement of the brand after purchase, the reuse of packaging increased engagement, feedback loop from customer, segment aligned packaging, and upsell and cross-sell. Anything yeah. to add, Arnett? Well, one, one additional idea, I guess. So, you know, what we've covered is essentially um, the fact that in a D2C model, it's important to build a great user experience end-to-end uh, supporting the brand experience and packaging is an important part of that and you can innovate on that in that model um, and, and I think a lot of the players have a lot still has a lot of innovation to explore around this and the ideas there are, are kind of interesting in that context and if you look into that into the future I think assuming or thinking about what kind of new tech trends there are uh, I, I think somebody is going to crack the user experience around AR uh, in the next few years, whether that is two or ten, I don't know. But mm -hmm. but I think uh, you know innovating on the packaging inside an AR space uh, is also interesting. That could take that uh, engagement and and whole experience to another level. Um, so, so I think that there's sort of also future room to um, to innovate here, even yeah. if all the benefits are not taking out even today. Yeah, you're right. I think AR, depending on how it involves, can also change um, packaging. Yeah. Uh, something else I want to mention: one of the leaders in packaging is a Nordic company. Uh, Tetra Pak. They were started in uh, Lund in uh, Sweden, but I, now they are based in uh, Switzerland or headquartered, but uh, they still have significant presence in Regenskone in uh, Sweden. So that's an area where the Nordic uh, companies have excelled. If I'm not mistaken, I think the founder the family or something is the richest founder or family in in Sweden or in Nordics. Certainly, certainly one of the richest families because of this innovation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so thank you everybody for joining us. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Please send us your feedback. Uh, this was different than very narrow topic. Uh, uh, 
then you know the last time the topic was very broad MA. This is definitely in CPG, very specific. D definitely felt constrained by the packaging. <laughs> well, next week you'll pick something that's broad, Arne. So you <laughs> have to be broad enough to fit in a box. Uh, all right, good stuff. Okay, thanks everybody. See you next week. Stay safe. Bye. Bye bye. Yeah, bye.